James 5, from verse 13 to the end. <clears throat> the prayer of faith. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you ill? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Amen. Thank you, Elaine. If you would uh, keep your Bibles open to James chapter 5, we will dip into it every now and then. Uh, I want to bring our greetings to Amy Kirkwood. Um, um, Amy, uh, we were in, uh, there was 10 of us, the Chitiga 10 as we called them in 2001, went over to be with her in the Chitiga Centre and Amy um, has also been there how many times? Three times. And I'm just reading here because I don't want to get this wrong. Um, David, good to see you sir who is her husband, and uh, is your mum here as well? Ah, great. And who else is with you? Hello, sister. <laughs> uh, Jenny. So, um, welcome, because now, uh, is it you and David, or is it the whole family, are going to be patrons of the Chitika Centre? So many of us will know in Pitlockery Baptist that Nikki and Jane King were the patrons of, of that ministry over in Uganda, but now Amy and the whole family, and David and the whole family are now patrons, so it's incumbent upon us to remember to pray for you. So, great that you're here, and I almost got it right, Jane. <laughs> Shall we pray together? Father, may the words of my mouth and meditation of my, of my heart be acceptable to you. You are our Redeemer, you are our rock, and the in you we trust, and we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So we're coming to the end. Well, we are now at the end of James. We've done James in nine weeks, which is no mean feat. Um, and it's stimulated a lot of conversation, as it should, because Scripture should um, encourage us, of course, but Scripture needs to read us and we should be bruised by reading Scripture if we truly are leaning into it, as James encourages us 
uh, from time to time. His book, as many people say, is a very practical book. He's not so interested in theory, although he's got great theology, but it's all about him speaking as a pastor to a scattered church and to encourage them uh, to continue in the ways of the kingdom. Undoubtedly, therefore, they were getting into the ways of the world, and as we all can. Um, but James says right at the beginning, near the beginning of his book, and he says this in chapter 2, verse 17, faith by itself, if it is not accomplished by action, is dead. Faith by itself, if it is not accomplished by action, is dead. Last Saturday, I had the privilege of going through to Glasgow and speaking at a Scripture Union event. Uh, and I was at a football event. As many of you know, I'm a football chaplain to St. Johnston, who are so strong that they're propping up the Premier League just now. And, uh, and so I was there to participate, uh, but to mostly just to watch, and it was great. And here's what I watched. I've played football all my life. Football's only been the, the only sport I've been interested in, really, although I'm trying to get into golf, and one day I will beat Trevor Hayes. Um, but I watched young guys from the age of 18 to 22 who inspired me no end, and girls, just in the way in which they competitively played football. One girl broke a wrist. She saved a great shot. <laughs> but she broke a wrist. She was, and she's a medic. She's studying to be a, a medic. And, but the way in which they even cared for her. I tell you the truth, if that was me back then and someone had broken, as did from time to time, broken wrists and ankles, we would have been saying, right, get them off so that we can continue the game. But that didn't happen with these guys. Everything stopped. They showed so much care. So when it was my turn to speak to them later on, I spoke to the Christians and I said, Christians, you have truly inspired me. I went there to watch football, to be involved a wee bit, but what I watched was young men and women of God taking their faith seriously. It was faith in action. And I says to the non-Christians, keep watching them. If you're intelligent, you need to keep watching them, and you claim to be intelligent because you're at university. And that's, in effect, what I says when I talk afterwards. Faith by itself, if it is not accomplished by action, is dead. And James says that Christians should stand out. James says that we should be different. And he highlights, and I'll just highlight that, several ways in which we should have the opportunity to demonstrate a faith, whether we're a chef, whether we work in a soap shop, whether we are retired or a pastor. And how we handle difficulties, we should be an example. And how we handle success and how we come across temptations. And the way we speak, and here's a great one, and, in, and the way we listen. And next year we hope to have a first come, first serve PBC one day conference on the art of listening. That's a quick and early plug. But in the level of concern we have for the disadvantage, we should stand out. And in how we plan for the future and how we seek the Lord with this heart, Lord, where are you? What do you want me to do? What are you all about? In all of those sorts of ways, James, and I quickly just highlighted them, James unpacks it and says, people are watching us, guys. Our faith by itself, if it's not accomplished by deeds, is dead. And he says that in 2.17. And here, as he's closing, 
He says every aspect of our life, therefore, should flow out of relationship. We are not part of a religion per se. For those of us who are born again, we are in a relationship. Look from verse 13 onwards. James says, if, you're, if we're in trouble, what should we do? Pray. Who should we pray to? To God about it. And then he goes on to say, and if we're happy, what should we do? Sing songs of praise. Who should we sing songs of praise to? To God about it. Verse 14, and if we are ill, call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil. By whose authority? In the name of the Lord. And then again in 15, he says, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord, he will raise them up. If they have sinned, they need not fear because they will be forgiven. We are in a relationship. Our faith is all about a relationship. This is about relationship. When we walk out there, we know that we are not leaving God behind in a building. He goes with us. He calls us to be yoked with Him. We're in relationship with God. But James speaks about something else. And at the end of this, he speaks about healing. And one of the names for God is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Has anything changed about that? Does God still heal? Or are we in the age of medicine? I'd like to read from you, for you from a book called The, Near, the Nearly Perfect Crime by a great man who I, my father-in-law knows very well called Francis McNutt. I want to just read you a few paragraphs. And at the beginning... He quotes 2 Timothy 3, 5, and he says this, They will keep up the outward appearance of religion, but they will have rejected the inner power of it. And he goes on to say, It was a nearly perfect crime. You can see the body lying there almost cold, the heart barely pumping. This dying body once kept Christianity alive. What we see lying there, scarcely moving, is Christian prayer for healing. It is like the lingering death of the Emperor Napoleon in exile on the island of Elba. According to the story, the English paid his servant to put a pinch of arsenic in Napoleon's wine every day. Day by day, he wasted away until he finally died. We can compare the near death of Christian healing to Napoleon's sad decline, except that its decline was even more gradual. Century by century, its life was weakened. By 1900, only certain parts of the church's healing ministry were still alive and moving. Granted, something so central to Christianity could never completely die. We can rejoice that Christians today in different parts of the world are awakened to the glorious vision that Jesus had for his church. But, amazingly, most of the body lies still and unresponsive to the powerful encounters of the Spirit that are sweeping into these non-traditional meetings of believers. So stealthily did this poisoning happen that most churchgoers did not even realize that anything was wrong. They came to think of their moribund state as normal. And when you think about it, this near destruction of divine healing 
is an extraordinary mystery because miraculous healing with its twin, the casting out of evil spirits, lay at the very heart of Jesus Christ's mission. For the first 400 years of church history, Christians expected healing to take place when they prayed. How is it possible that something so central to the gospel almost died out? The mystery is compounded when we discover that the enemies were not outsiders or heretics, but Christians themselves. It is as if Christians put a pinch of arsenic into their own wine, day after day, and then they drank it. Poor. Do you need a glass of water? Great. James forces us in this passage to consider the relationship that we have with God and our relationship with healing. And that's what we're going to look at today. So what causes sicknesses? Simply, if we disregard basic health principles like sanitation and hygiene and exercise and rest, simply if we neglect those and a lot of nurses in this place will tell us, and doctors, the illness will naturally take hold of us. We're not bound by Old Testament laws, but God established laws of hygiene and diet there in Scripture that are still incredibly helpful and meaningful and actually a command in places for us today. For instance, and this is the only one I'll mention, the day of rest. Day of rest. I never get a Sunday as a day of rest. My challenge is to make sure ministry does not encroach on a day of rest. But I need it. If it's good enough for God, it's good enough for us. Genesis 2 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the eighth, I'm sorry, on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Rest remains an important thing that we need to have in our life. And when we violate that, over time, we will become sick. It's quite basic. But also, God sometimes used physical infirmity to discipline his children or even to punish sin. And it's that which I want to focus in on mostly this morning. We will come and gather around the Lord's table, not the church's table, the Lord's table, the risen one's table. And we will have people who are set aside, who are prepared to pray with you or for you with someone else. We will encourage people to come forward for physical healing. Why not? But there's other things that James speaks about, and it's to that I want to turn also. The pressing issue for James, as I put up on the screen there, is this double-mindedness amongst Christians and this spiritual adultery. And therefore, the challenge is our need to return to the Lord and worship Him with a whole heart. All of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, all of my strength. When we sing that, 
There is nothing double-mindedness about that. There is no spiritual adultery in our singing. Therefore, the challenge is, what about in our actions? Where is our faith? If it is accomplished by, the, by action, then there's something alive there. We're showing people what God is presently doing in our lives. And James here in this little passage that Elaine read out seems to identify sin with sickness. Look at verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. That word well is the word sosai, which literally means saved. The prayer offered in faith will, will save the sick person. And then in verse 16, he says, confess your sins to each other and, prayer, and, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confess your sins and when you confess your sins, you will find physical healing. You get those two things that James is saying in those two verses there? But notice that the result seems to be wrong. It isn't wrong, but it seems to be logically the, the wrong way around. Because he says, the sick person is saved and the sinner is healed. Now, usually we'd expect the sick person to be healed and the sinner saved. But James is drawing a connection between a believer's sickness and sin. Get that? James is saying to this body, and Paul goes on about it at the tail end of 1 Corinthians as well, you're dying, you've got physical ailments, and for some of you it's because of bitterness, unforgiveness, hardness of heart, double-mindedness. You're engaged in spiritual adultery because you're taking only some of what Jesus commands, but actually you for most part, are at the center of your world. And God says you can't have two masters. Sickness, we know, is part of life. It's part of the fall. It's part of the fallout from our collective rebellion against God. And in that sense, it's indiscriminate. But James is saying, in occasions, some of you physically are sick because of sin in your life, unconfessed sin, unconfessed habits, habitual sin. For instance, if you're a guy and you are addicted to pornography, you are going to look at women. You might not speak it out. Your actions may not demonstrate that. But the way in which you look at women will be sinful. It'll affect your mind, and it may affect you physically as well. It's just one example. If I was a woman, I'd give a better example. But I'm a guy, and I know that struggle for guys. Our sin affects our body, our life, our connection with God, and our ministry. There are a few occasions in the, the New Testament where sickness results from sin. Only a few. And I think, have I put them up there? Maybe put it up there. Ah, here we go. Yeah. There in John chapter 5, <coughs> where Jesus heals the guy who is infirm, he's lame, he's, he's been an invalid. 
And that, so he's physically been healed. And Jesus says, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Yes, that Jesus may be speaking in one respect to the consequence of sin when we come to face the, the, the judge. And we need to keep a short account with him. But he just healed him. He's spoken those words in the context of the man being physically healed. We don't know of the man's history before. But could Jesus be calling uh, him out in that and, and seeing a connection there? You know the story of Beauty and the Beast? Well, I was trying to remember this as I was thinking about this illustration. Did someone curse the beast? Who was it? Was it a, a, a witch or something in the story? Can it? Yes, it was. I, wasn't, I couldn't remember. All my fairy tales were getting mixed up there. But there was nothing. What's the word I'm looking for? reparative. There was nothing in that experience that was to help the beast. It was punishment. We should never see physical things as a punishment from the Lord. He does not want us to dwell in that physical infirmity. But maybe we've got this example where the man was healed by Jesus. Maybe it's, it's for God's glory. God allows something to take place and to take root in our lives. Not for that to be our experience forever and ever, but for the Messiah to show up and bring healing and for us to be talking about it 2,000 years later. Or for even someone here to experience the power of God, the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the restoration of God, the fullness, the shalom of God, and it be to his glory because there is no other explanation. So God will not just bring something on or allow that ha to happen so that it, it goes on forever and ever. He wants to step in and show that he is good. Just as he allowed Israel to go their own way and they, were, they became enslaved, his desire was always to bring them back to full repentance. And so it is with us. We are saved, but as much of us, it needs to be continually saved. So whereas there are instances of sin-prompted sickness, they're meant to provoke repentance so that the Father's discipline can be lifted. And I think this context of sickness and sin is where James gives his instruction. In the context of double-mindedness among God's people, James urges the sick to call for the elders precisely because it may be a matter of spiritual discipline where Christian leadership and discernment is needed. You may come forward for prayer this morning, and I encourage you to. I may go forward myself. And you may just be feeling wabbit. You just might be feeling depressed, whatever it may be. And I would encourage those who are praying, as I know is their heart, that they will ask the Lord for discernment. You may not know what you need prayer for, but you just have an overwhelming urge for prayer. It takes discernment. And in this context, James says, call for the leaders, the spiritually mature, the ones who have set aside. Servants are not just, uh, leaders, sorry, are not just servants. They're leaders. And they're called to be under shepherds of the flock. And I trust those who are set aside to pray, to pray with discernment and with the best intention and always for God's glory. 
The elders are to pray for the repentant sinner's health to be restored. If the sickness is indeed divine discipline, it will be lifted. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he or she has sinned, he or she will be forgiven. Physical healing, but also the healing of a clean conscience before the Lord. Anoint with oil in the name of the Lord is an appropriate practice in this situation because anointing symbolizes being set apart and also consecration, given over fully to God and to his purposes. So the oil just dripped in the form of the cross with the the fragrance that will be there as a lasting reminder, reminder of what God has done, what he's promised what he's called you to. The sick person will be well physically and in spirit, the whole person. So I am calling us to be restored in the joy of our salvation. I feel prompted to call us to examine our double-mindedness. And it's a horrible phrase, our spiritual adultery. For those of us who are born again in Christ Jesus, myself since the age of 15, I have been, we have been bought at a huge price. Born into the kingdom, and God's kingdom is increasingly coming. Will we submit in repentance and faith for the healing of our whole body? To stand upright, to be full of hope even in situations which are daunting, to give over fully to God and His ways and to come away from double-mindedness and spiritual adultery. (coughs) Healing is not, in many instances, automatic. But here what is forgiveness is. It has been done. It is paid as a price. It has been paid fully and forever, one and for all. And I also put down there, Satan sometimes brings sickness. God permits that, whether it be with Job or whether it be with Paul, with his thorn in his flesh. But let's be honest, let's not blame everything on Satan. You know, let's not elevate him. Let's not even talk about him for too long. He is the deceiver. He is the accuser. But it's us with our choices. How much do we desire God's kingdom rule in our life? I know from my own testimony with my family, I desire that more than anything else. When I am thinking of something to praise God for because of my story and the lies that were spoken over me when I was younger, having children and a wife is the thing that I am thankful for. And I praise God, as I think of the cross, I praise Him for the good gifts He's given us, me and Miranda. God desires to bring that goodness. Someone says to me this week, God is great, and I've been texting it to people, God is great and He's in a good mood. That's a frivolous type of thing. 
When he looks on us, he looks on us in love. We sometimes sing, and his banner over me is love. Can we honestly, as we come to the Lord's table, and I don't think I'm going to do anything else. I'd so much more, but I'm not going to. Can we, when we come to the Lord's table, take the time. If you do not know Jesus, let me tell you this. He is the promised Messiah. Our predicament and our world is not saved by politicians, is not saved by even world leaders coming together. The only way in which our world will know peace and harmony and prosperity is by falling at the the name of Jesus, confessing our sins. Therefore, the kingdom should be seen around about us. Our kingdom should be in a relationship with our spouse, His kingdom should be seen in the way we speak to each other. And if it is not, it's because of bitterness, pride, anger, hurts. People have prayed for us to be healed in the past. It has not happened, so we stop praying in faith for healing. Therefore, we're We're angry at God or we're angry at the situation, but we never mouth those things off because we're good, righteous people and we don't want to say say those things. But deep down, it's there, so we don't ask for healing. All of these things, everyday things, are not meant to be part of our relationships, are not meant to be part of our relationship with God. I'm not trying to say that, that, you know, Christianity is a bed of roses because we know that the Lord brings difficulty so that we will call on Him to be saved. Has happened with Israel time and time and time again. Jesus says, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, and there's discernment in what you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Why? Because it's the Father's will. You've waited, you've discerned, you've asked for it, and he knows how to give good gifts. And Jesus also promises his disciples, and we are those disciples as well. I will do whatever you ask in my name. Ask appropriately, so that the Son may be glorified to the Father. Can we honestly, as the guys come and just play something gently in the background, as Howard and Sally come up, Um, as we prepare the table. Can I ask we use this time to ask ourselves one question? Is my unhappiness, is my problems, are the things that are obstacles for me externally or internally due to my lack of unforgiveness, due to my bitter heart, due to the pain that I carry that others have inflicted on me? I'm asking you to do a bit of heart prep. If we are being true of people of faith and action, to examine our hearts before the Lord, call in His name and be saved. Come forward for prayer. See, when you come forward for prayer, you you are saying, I am weak and He is strong. And don't dare try and pretend (laughs) that you don't need prayer because we all need to come before the Lord in prayer and seek His blessing. Can we play something? Is that okay? I'm going to pray and we'll come before the Lord at the table. Father, Father, I've...
my prayer, Father, is that what I've said has been the right thing. That's my desire. Anything that is not of you, I pray that it will just be a wasted 20 minutes or whatever it is, and people will forgive and move on. But, Father, what is of you is lasting. I pray that we would wrestle with that. We come before you. You are good and your love endures forever, and we would receive wholeness, a clean conscience before you, forgiven, restored, redeemed, sanctified, justified, glorified in, in the name of Christ. Amen.